Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Well, we've been part now of a sacramental moment. A moment wherein we hear and make promises. Uh, Julianne is young. She left an impression already because when the water hit her head, she didn't squeal, squawk, or cry. What a well-behaved child. That may not be the case at 3 o'clock this coming morning, but for this moment, made an impression. You ever wonder about impressions? How, How do... Corwin and Christine impress upon Julianne and upon their children the importance of following Jesus? Or how do you impress on children that are growing up the importance of learning some basics, like how to tie your shoes? or the fact that you need to wash your hands faithfully? How do you leave this lingering teaching and impression? Well, you do it by means of discipline. You do it by means of routine encouragement. When you call them to the supper table, you routinely, as parents say, Have you washed your hands? And after a while, that makes an impression. And hopefully, at some point, that's just part of the regular routine. And it gives power. The power to overcome the impact of germs and bacteria. The power to build fellowship where we can be safe with each other. That's why we're wearing masks. It leaves the impression on people that we care. Impressions are all around us, of course. If you have a coin in your pocket, whether that's a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a loony, a toonie, there are impressions on those coins. Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth, is on them. On the back of some, you will find the head of a reindeer on the back of another, you'll find the imprint of the blue-nosed clipper ship or schooner. On the the loony, you find a loon. You see, you, you have these things and they make an impression. And when people come to Canada, we talk about loonies and toonies and people wonder, well, what are you talking about? Well, you see, it has made an impression on us as Canadians. So let me ask you this question. Who has left an impression on you? Who has shaped your life and transformed it? Was it a parent? Was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Was it a friend? And then how did they do that? Was it through their 
character? Was it through their habit, their discipline carried out every day? Think, for example, you know, Pastor Steve talked about that in terms of, you know, being exposed to Scripture. What sort of impression are you leaving on your children, on your family, in terms of your own personal study of the Scriptures? Do they see you doing that? How are people impressed by you? Let me share a personal story. I graduated from Calvin Seminary in 1977. In 1976, so the year before graduation, I was taking an elective course on the book of Hebrews with Dr. Andrew Banstra, who passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, he left a lasting impression on me. He, he had given us a, a list of, of topics that we could write a paper about for, for that course, and I looked at that list of topics, and it dealt with the parentage of Melchizedek, who the scripture says was, was without father and mother. And so the question was, how did he get here? Did he just appear? Was he of angelic birth? Or is there no uh, uh, history of his parents? And so I, I researched that, and I got stuck. I had about two or three different options, and I did not know where to land, what to conclude. And so I made an appointment with Dr. Banstra, and I laid out for him my, my research and my, my trouble, my problem. And I said, can you help me conclude? And he looked at me and said, I quote, because I'll never forget this, it will be very interesting to read your paper. And I looked at him and I said, is that it? He said, yeah. He says, if I give you the answer, I'll take away your struggle. I'll take away the issue that is before you. So it'll be very interesting to read your paper. I have to confess, I wasn't very happy when I left his office. But I finally landed that thing on a particular area. I don't remember anymore exactly how the, the content of that paper. That's a long time ago, of course. Uh, I think I got a pretty decent mark on it. And before I retired a few years ago, I wrote him a letter or an email. And I said to him, thank you very much for one of the most impressive points in my educational life, where a teacher told me I better lift the weight myself and work it out for myself and not find a shortcut by getting the answer from someone else. Who has left a lasting impression on your life? I want to share with you uh, some words from Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is a history or part of the history of the early church. After the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, then the disciples gathered together and they began to build church, build community. And then this event in Acts chapter 3 happens. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Notice their discipline. It was the time of prayer and they went up to the temple 
That's impressive to me. It makes me think about my own discipline. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were impressed. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Now let me just stop there a moment and ask you to pay attention to the use of the word you. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, whom he decided, when, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be re released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and no was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and faith, that and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your, your fathers. He said through Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Then God raised up his servant. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. I want to make one quick reference also to the last verses of the book of Esther. Esther chapter 10 is only three verses 
long. But listen to these words describing one of the heroes of the book. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. Listen to this. Because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. He worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all of the Jews. Peter and John are disciplined people. They're learning discipline. They're going to the temple to pray and they come to this temple and there they see this man who is lame, has been lame from birth. Imagine that for their, his parents when they received him. My father always used to say to my, my brothers when they would call, because I was the youngest and the youngest in the family, and so I would often be at home when my brothers would call to announce the birth of a nephew or a niece of mine, but of one of my parents' grandchildren. My dad would always ask this question, is everything okay? He would ask that before he would ask about the gender of a child. Is everything okay? In other words, is everything normal? You can imagine these parents who received this child who is now a man sitting at the beautiful gate and they look and they see that his legs aren't normal and he's been lame from birth and he's now sitting there. He, he begs for money. There's no welfare system to assist him. He begs for money and Peter and John come by and no doubt the words are routinely spilling off this man's lips. Help me, help me, help me. Alms for the lame, alms for the poor. And Peter and John stop. And this man has this sense of, of oh, maybe I'll get something. They have left a bit of an impression on him. And then Peter says, well, I don't have silver and I don't have gold. And you can just imagine that the guy's interest begins to deflate. Look at us, Peter says. Look at us. I mean, this man is lame. He's been saying the same word day after day after day after day. He, he's anticipating something. He's, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. And he just goes back and he gets bored. Look at us. Leaves an impression. I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. And he grabs the man's hand and he pulls him up and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he walks. He gets up, he moves around, he jumps around, he dances, can you imagine? The thing that really impresses me about this, no physiotherapy required. No crutches, no walkers. No massage therapist. Everything's just, just A-OK. -okay. He jumps up and he dances and he praises God. And you can imagine the impression he would live on a, make on his parents that night when he comes home walking. What happened to you? I don't know. I heard this guy say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk, and everything got fixed. What an impressive moment. 
so impressive that the people in the temple courts come running. Notice the verb. They come running. They can't miss this event. This is, this is terribly impressive to them. They come running and they wonder, what happened? This guy who we've seen for years sitting at the beautiful gate is suddenly up and jumping and dancing and praising God. And he didn't have any physiotherapy. What happened? Well, Peter is opportunistic. This makes an impression on me. He's opportunistic. This is a, a teaching moment, a redemptive moment for Peter. And he addresses the people, uh, men, and, or men and daughters or brothers and sisters of Israel. Catch that for a moment. He is talking to a covenant people. He's talking to a people who are identified with the place, the temple. He's talking to people who have some awareness of history. They're, they're part of a movement. And they have this sense of identity. And then he asks two questions. Why are you surprised? And why do you stare at us? Stop, think about that for a moment. Why are you surprised? What, what mystery is happening for you here? And why do you stare at us if somehow we're oddballs? Wondering where we came from, what we're doing here. Why we got this power? See, he's making them think. He's making them ponder. He's making them wonder and examine what is going on. Why are you surprised? And why do you stare at us? And then notice what Peter does. He goes through a litany of covenant history. He goes through a liturgy of development. He says, well, we are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and what was told to Abraham? Well, I will raise up for you a people. And they will be a blessing to the nations. Through you, all the people of the earth will receive an impression Oh, why are you surprised? Why do you stare? And then he, he brings it confrontationally to them. You know, God sent Jesus as the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you, you crucified him. You betrayed him. You resisted the opportunity that he had to escape because you refused to take him and took Barabbas instead. You, you are the ones. Why? 
could just imagine, just imagine how, how that would have grated at them. They were being made to feel guilty. Why? Because he was a disappointment to you. You had looked at him who turned water into wine and who fed the 5,000 and who walked on water and, and who healed the sick and raised the dead. And, and you thought that he would be the Messiah with a sword in his hand who would come and get rid of the Romans once and for all and who would bring back David's glory and the glory of the nation of Israel and they would make us to be somebody again. And then he disappointed you because he stuck the sword in the scabbard. He says, put it away. If I wanted to have a legion of angels, I could command them to come. And you resist them. Put it away. My kingdom is not that type of kingdom. My kingdom is the type of kingdom that talks to people about liberty and justice for all and providing an opportunity to those who have none. My kingdom is a kingdom for forgiveness and compassion. My kingdom is a, a kingdom where people will be blessed because they hunger and thirst after righteousness. My kingdom is a kingdom where the meek, the yielded to God, will inherit the earth. That's what my kingdom is. Put away your sword. They didn't like it, so they crucified him. And then the two powerful words in the passage, but God, but God raised him from the dead. And now in his name, this man has been restored. Why do you stare at us? Why are you supposed surprised? Remember, remember that Moses came and he brought the people of Israel through the Red Sea, as Pastor Steve said, and a symbol of baptism. You leave behind the old and you embrace the new and there's no going back. There's no going back. He brought Israel through the Red Sea and he brought them in the wrong direction from the promised land because he had to bring them to Sinai. There God would give the moral law that we know as the Ten Commandments and the civil law that we know from all the rest of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Their God will shape a community of his people so that his people could be impressive in this world and make a difference. And then he brought them to the edge of the promised land where they would find a home. And then recall Samuel and all the prophets and all of those people who came to teach you, why are you so surprised? Well, Hosea wrapped it up. When Hosea says in chapter 4, my people are destroyed due to lack of knowledge. You've heard it, but you allowed it to skim right over you. You didn't leave, allow it to leave an impression on you. You didn't allow it to change you. And then Peter brings a word of grace. But brothers and sisters, you acted in ignorance. You didn't know. You didn't understand. But now God has come and allows a time for repentance. Allows a time, in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, for a dying away of the old and a coming to life 
of the new. God allows you to experience the wiping away of your sins. And he allows you to experience a time of refreshing, as Peter goes on to say. Your guilt is away. You are justified in his sight. But now you have a new opportunity to listen again to the words of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to the words of the psalmist, to the words of Samuel and the prophets, and to the words of Jesus. And you have an opportunity to be revitalized and renewed and to leave an impact on the world, to leave an impression and how do you leave that impression? You obey the law and you love each other. And how do you do that? You keep your promise to Julianne. And you keep your promise to all of the other covenant children. And you discipline yourself with good habits with, which bring about a change and renewal in your life. And you ensure that you are not ignorant like the people in the temple in the day of Peter and John. You ensure that you're knowledgeable, that you read the scriptures, that you ponder the scriptures, that you understand the gospel. And then as people ask you questions, well, who is this Jesus all about? And, and why did he come? That you can simply say, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. And then you leave an impression. And you leave an impression when you are disciplined. Martin Luther left many impressions in this world. One of the impressions that he left was his response to the plague of the time. And Brittany, can I have that slide now? The, 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 the response to the time of a plague. Because at the time of Martin Luther, the Black Plague hit. You know, Luther began the Reformation on October the 1st of 1517. You need to know what happened years before that. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Do you remember that? He discovered America. And when he discovered America, you know what he brought to America? He was here for God, gold, and glory. But he brought to America smallpox. It wiped out 95% of the indigenous people in America. These people knew about pandemics and plagues. Let me read you uh, what Martin Luther writes in a, in a, in a tract. Uh, and I'm only picking a small piece of this track, but, but it left an impression on me. He says, no, my dear friends, that is not good. Use medicines, take potions that can help you fumigate house, yard, and street. Shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered and act like a man who wants to help out the burning city. What else is the epidemic but a fire which instead of consuming wood and straw, devours life and body. You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order, to not, uh, in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should take, wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me 
and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. What was Luther saying? Keep distance, wear a mask, wash your face or hands, take a vaccine, but be there to help when necessary. The history of the early Christian church is a history of a people who stayed in the cities when plagues and illness struck because they felt that was what God wanted them to do. And when you read the ancient historians, they left an impression. See how they love each other. How are you doing with the impression that you are leaving? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the early church. We thank you for people who followed you because you had come to them and set them free from guilt and shame. You gave them hope and a future. You restored them. They shared with others the news of new life in Christ. They transformed places and cultures. They brought your kingdom to full expression. We thank you that we are part of that long legacy of faith. It is our prayer, Lord God, that as we continue to lead our lives according to your calling, that we too will be a blessing as others have been a blessing in the past. Give us courage. Help us to understand. Help us to love. We humbly ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.